We are all familiar with preparedness drills, but when faced with an actual disaster, what roles do hospitals play and how do they work together to make a disaster relief plan more efficient and help save lives? You are listening to a special report on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. And with me is Dr. John Hick, first responder to the scene of the Minneapolis bridge collapse and medical director for emergency preparedness at Hennepin County Medical Center, where the majority of patients were taken from the disaster scene. Dr. Hick and I are discussing the important role hospitals play in mobilizing, organizing, and delivering care during a disaster. Dr. Hick, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks so much, Bruce. Can you briefly describe your role in the disaster response? I just want to clarify that I, I consider this to be a tragedy, but not a disaster. And the differentiation there being that in a disaster, your resources are overwhelmed. And in this case, our medical resources weren't overwhelmed. We were able to keep up with the demand, and, and I'm grateful for that. My primary role this time around was really as an on-scene medical physician, but after a few hours when our rescue phase was complete, uh, I went back to the hospital and we did a quick hot wash, a quick review of of what had happened and how things had gone so that we can learn and and apply some corrective actions to make things even better in the future because I did write our our emergency department, emergency operations plan, so I was uh, very keen to see how things had gone uh, back at the hospital. It seemed to the public that there was a very smooth transition from scene to hospital. Can you give us some background on the hospitals in the area and how they're organized to deal with this type of tragedy? Absolutely. We're lucky that the hospitals are pretty well linked with the emergency medical services system. We have a a resource called the Medical Resource Control Center, which is an EMS communications gateway that will uh, put information on a web-based system called MinTrack that allows all the hospitals and EMS agencies to receive alerts and and incident information in real time. And that's very important to allow the hospitals uh, time to respond, you know, or or get ramped up for a response, and, and in particular, a response like this, where even a few minutes can get extra carts and extra supplies and extra staff down to the emergency department to prepare for these incoming victims. The individual hospitals, I think, have done a good job preparing and trying to increase their surge capacity and their supplies for disasters. The 29 hospitals in our seven-county metro area are organized under a hospital compact. And HCMC, Hennepin County Medical Center, serves as what we call the Regional Hospital Resource Center. They're the hub, essentially, of hospital coordination when multiple hospitals are involved uh, in a response. And then they are the conduit to the Minnesota Department of Health when there are issues within the region from a, a health resource standpoint or a policy issue standpoint that can't be resolved on the regional level. So if we need additional staff, additional resources, we will work with Minnesota Department of Health as a Regional Hospital Resource Center and with our emergency management management uh, at the jurisdictional level to try to obtain those resources from a higher level. But it allows the state to coordinate with eight different regions rather than coordinating with 141 individual hospitals. What do hospitals do typically to do surge preparedness? There's a number of different facets to that. The first is to have um, a good incident management system in place, you know, hospital incident command system or other that allows you to assign responsibility to individuals to allow them to do an initial uh, event size up and determine what's needed and then mobilize the right resources. And mobilizing resources means pre-identifying who you're going to call in and when. You know, there's not a lot of disasters in which you have to call in all your dermatologists that have, you know, privileges at the hospital. But there are a lot of situations where you need to call all the surgeons. So, you 
you know, you need to pre-identify the staff that you're going to call in, have it scalable based on the situation, and then what areas of the hospital can you use for patient care when your hospital is full, which most of most of the hospitals are right now. We tend to run very, very close to capacity. So can you use post-anesthesia care? Can you use a same-day surgery area? Can you double up private rooms or use the couches as fold-outs in those rooms for additional patients? Can you set up cots in, in flat surface areas? There's a number of articles out there that, you know, that sort of help hospitals walk through how we can improve surge capacity. But those things, plus a good communications network to make sure that you're tied in and getting good information from EMS and you're putting good information out to other hospitals about how you're doing so that if you're getting overwhelmed, that other hospitals in the area can pick up some of that load. Which hospital received the majority of patients in this tragedy? In this situation, Hennepin County Medical Center is a level one trauma center, and we are located six blocks from the incident site. And so uh, we took the majority of the criticals because uh, we were the closest and provided the highest level of trauma services. So we received 24 patients the first evening. Nine patients went to University of Minnesota Hospital, which was the next closest uh, hospital. They are are not a trauma-receiving hospital, um, but they did an an excellent job with the patients that they received. They did not receive any critical trauma. Uh, Nine patients who were more severely injured, went to North Memorial Medical Center. That's the next closest level one trauma center. And then a handful of patients went to other hospitals in the immediate area. Overall, how many victims were treated at local hospitals? Overall, the first night, 50 patients were transported by ambulance. About 80 were treated at local hospitals in total the first night. And and over the subsequent days, additional patients came in to be seen, usually for uh, muscular injury, in particular back injury that they had sustained in the collapse. So a total of 127 patients were seen over the, uh, the first four days after the incident. If you've just tuned into this special report, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I am speaking with Dr. John Hick, first emergency response physician on the scene of the Minneapolis Bridge tragedy. Did some of the victims self-present to the hospital? Yes, certainly. We did have a number of patients that walked into hospitals that were very close to the incident scene, and and this is very, very typical for any sort of an incident uh, that patients will self-present. And in fact, often it's the self-presenting patients that come first and yet are the least injured. And so hospitals that are preparing for disasters need to understand that a lot of times the first victims you get uh, that are the walk-ins, don't let them tie up your resources too much because you're probably going to get criticals coming in very close on their heels that you need to be able to devote a significant amount of staff and resources resources too. There were some healthcare providers on the scene that weren't part of the EMS system. How do you work with them? Great question. Um, bystander assistance is very welcome in the first few minutes um, after a disaster because they're essential in helping to get patients evacuated from the area. We did have some volunteer health professionals at the scene that were a very big help uh, early on, helping to assess patients, backboard patients, even move patients. But as we get additional trained rescuers and appropriate equipment into the scene, then it's very important that we do not continue to have volunteer professionals coming to the scene and that those who were already there are excused to get to a safer area. And we had very, you know, fortunately, very good relations with the folks that we were working with at the scene. They understood with the power lines and everything else that they needed to get off of that area and, and get out of that area as we got uh, enough resources and, and equipment. We were a little bit hampered in that by a few media messages that went out that encouraged healthcare professionals to come to the site. And I just, I want to say, if you're not trained to be operating in an environment like this and don't have the equipment, you can wind up definitely in harm's way and not really help the response uh, at all. 
all. Um, so if you can be there within a couple minutes and you have training and you feel that you're safe in doing that, then uh, you can be very, very helpful. Uh, anything after that first few minutes uh, tends to wind up being more of a hindrance. If patients self-present to physicians' offices as a result of a tragedy like this, is there something that a physician should do to alert the EMS system or the response team? You know, if you are working in a office setting and a patient comes into you to be seen, um, you always need to have a mechanism to, you know, access the EMS system in case that patient's injuries or illness are beyond the scope of what you're prepared to care for. We did try to track patient presentations to clinics as part of seeing how many actual numbers of patients came in for medical care. Now, that's a little bit difficult when you have hundreds and hundreds of clinics in our system as, as we do, but we were able to track at least some of those patient encounters, and, and that just helps with the epidemiology of the incident to know how many and what type of injuries were seen. And so if there's an effort in the community that's underway from that standpoint, it's important for the clinics, especially with infectious disease or chemical or other situations, to, to be able to report that information back to either a health department, an EMS agency, or someone else that's collecting that information. What did you learn about your ability to respond to an incident like this? Fortunately, in, in this type of an incident, our resources weren't overwhelmed, but I, was, I can't tell you how proud I was of our EMS system in our hospital uh, for doing the job that they did. We were essentially at capacity with hospital census of 390 at the time that this incident happened, and yet despite it was going on 7 o'clock at night and by the time the response was really rolling, uh, we had 10 operating rooms staffed and, and available. Usually we aimed to be able to provide two on a 24-7 basis uh, for non-disaster circumstances. We had clear 25 intensive care unit beds or opened uh, those beds in post-anesthesia care and other locations. We had you know, more staff than we could possibly use uh, available to us. Um, it was just a, an all-out great team effort and nice to see that even if we had had a substantial number more injured, that we would have been able to deal with that. And we still had the backup of all the additional hospitals in the area that in no case reached capacity that night. What lessons did you learn in responding to this particular event? Well, expect the unexpected. You know, we had never drilled or anticipated a bridge collapse in any of our planning. And I think you always have problems with communications, and this was no exception. Uh, our hospital switchboard jammed, even though there are dedicated internal phone lines that will not fail uh, during an incident. It wasn't clear to the staff that you needed to push that button on the handset before picking up the handset in order to access that line. And so a lot of times they would pick up the phone and there would already be a caller there because they hadn't, you know, selected that internal line previously. We had a few radio communications issues, so we're looking at upgrading our, our emergency radio system within the hospital. There's always incomplete information. Um, there's always hospitals that ramp up and call in staff and do things and don't wind up getting patients, and that's a very frustrating thing, but sometimes those things are going to happen. We did identify a few supply issues, uh, particularly that we don't have enough isolation gowns uh, available in, in the uh, resuscitation area and a few other supplies that we've identified. But in general, it's more tweaking of, of the system than any kind of overhaul, and I'm very pleased about that. The fundamentals of the system really come down to just good incident management principles, a good understanding of what needs to be done, and a lot of individuals doing those little things to make the overall response a success. What other kinds of disasters or tragedies have you had in the Minneapolis area that are like this? We haven't had anything in any kind of recent past uh, that's approached the scale of this collapse. I mean, the amount of structure that went down was just 
quite unfathomable, actually. Even looking at the pictures and things really doesn't do it much justice. We have had a, a number of mass casualty-type uh, incidents resulting from chemical exposures. Uh, we had an apartment building, a very unfortunate carbon monoxide incident a few years back where a furnace was turned on for the first time in the winter, and multiple uh, families were poisoned, and we had a number of fatalities and, and critically injured from that. So we have had some good practice with some smaller-scale incidents, but I'll be honest, we don't deal with uh, incidents of this magnitude on with any kind of frequent basis. So it really came back a lot to our exercises and our planning. Disaster can strike at any moment, so hospital personnel are trained to be ready to organize, mobilize, communicate, and treat 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a difficult task under demanding conditions, but it is often the difference between life and death. I want to thank our guest, Dr. John Hick, Medical Director for Emergency Preparedness at Hennepin County Medical Center, for helping us understand what roles our hospitals play in light of an emergency or disaster like the Minneapolis Bridge Collapse. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. You've been listening to this special report on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.